John 14 again. John 14. If I start with verse 12, it'll kind of remind us of a couple things we've looked at more recently. Verily, verily, I say unto you, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, that anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works, because I'm going to be with the Father. Two weeks ago, we looked at that. We talked about the greater works that Jesus promised his disciples would do and that we would do. And we looked at the book of Acts as the fulfillment of Jesus' prophecy that his disciples would do greater works. Then he continues on, You can ask for anything in my name, and I will do it, so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. And so last week we looked at that phrase, ask anything in my name, and saw that Jesus was primarily speaking about we can ask anything in his name that has to do with bringing his kingdom to earth as it is in heaven. That was last week. Now we'll continue on. If you love me, obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit who leads into all truth. The world cannot receive him because it isn't looking for him and doesn't recognize him. But you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you. I need to say something about the beginning of that passage that I'm not actually preaching on today. And that is that first phrase where Jesus said, If you love me, you will keep or obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will send another advocate, the Holy Spirit. At first glance, it seems as if Jesus is making it conditional. If you obey me, then I'll send the Spirit. And I don't think that's true. Most Bible scholars do not believe that Jesus is making that um, uh, uh, what's the word I just used? I've already forgotten. Conditional. Thank you. Conditional. If you love me, you obey my commandments, and I will ask the Father, he says. But that would seem to say that for us to receive the Holy Spirit, then that we have to obey all the commandments of Jesus, which lends itself to the idea that salvation or receiving anything from God is by works. And we know that that's not true, that it's by grace. And so I go along with those Bible scholars who say here, kind of what Jesus is saying is to them, you guys already love me. He's told them that several times in the upper room. And obey my command to love one another. He's kind of saying, to me anyway, um, if you're my followers, if you're one of mine, in other words, kind of goes to John 15. I am the vine and you're the branches. Remain in me and I'll remain in you and I'll send the Spirit. So I think he's just saying in that phrase, he's not saying if only you obey, I'll send the Spirit. He said, you're my followers. You're, I'm going to send the Spirit to you. That kind of, to me, kind of clears that section up there. And I will ask the Father, and He will send you another counselor. Some of your versions, if you're reading along right now, might have the word comforter in there. Many people like the word comforter there um, because it denotes being comforted. But... Uh, We'll talk about the word here in a moment. He's talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit. Um, would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, I pray that that Holy Spirit that Jesus talked about, whom certainly indwells Christians because of our faith in Christ, would um, be present today. I pray that you would 
Help me by Your Spirit to preach Your Word by Your Spirit that we might all listen, all of us together, by Your Spirit and make decisions that would reflect the will of Your Spirit at work in our lives today. So this is Your moment. Lord, take control of all. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Have you ever been part of an organization, a social club, or some kind of a movement that you would say made life worth living for you? Today, I'm preaching about a life worth living. A life worth living. You ever been a part of a social club or a movement or something like that that you could look back with fondness now and say, man, that really made my life worth living? I can tell you when I turned 10 years old, life became worth living for me because I was able to join the Mogador Little League Baseball, Baseball Little League, and I got to be on the Braves team. There were six teams, and I knew that the Braves was coached by John Radish, a very famous personage in the, in the little village of Mogador. Brian knows the Radish name from Mogador because he and I are fellow wildcats. And, uh, and anyway, I got to be on the Braves, and for three years, I had the privilege and the honor of playing on the Little League team for the Braves, and at the end of every one of those three years, I was able to put a trophy on my shelf because we won the championship three years in a row. And after that, we'd win the championship, John Radish had a farm outside of town, and he would take the whole team out there to his farm for a whole Saturday of uh, swimming in Hills Pond and riding his horses and a big barbecue. Everybody looked to that all year long. It's no wonder we won the championship because we had such a great goal ahead of us. And I just looked forward. To, I mean, I was, that was just, those, were the those were the brave years, the Mogador Braves. Those were the brave years for me. And sad to say, though, they came to an end when I turned 13, because then you're no longer eligible to play in the Little League in Mogador there. So that was my first foray into a life worth living, being one of the Mogador Braves. The next uh, life worth living phenom for me uh, began with rock and roll music. And it uh, really started to take off on February the 9th, 1964, when a guy with a variety show called The Ed Sullivan Show talked about these four lads from Liverpool who taken the world by storm, and here they are now, the Beatles! And uh, most, most people ever in TV history watched that Ed Sullivan Show, and I was right there watching the Beatles, and I just, that, the Beatles movement made life worth living for me, and it kind of reached its, its, its zenith when they released the Abbey Road album in September of 1969, and I could still remember where I was every time I bought one of the Beatles albums and listened to it for the very first time. And it, for me, that was life worth living. And then it all came to a sudden crash on October the 10th, 1970, when I was backing out of my mom and dad's driveway in my 67 Firebird, and the DJ for WHLO 640 Radio in Akron made the announcement that the Beatles had just broke up, and I slammed the brakes out of my Firebird and just sat there and thought, oh my gosh, the Beatle years are over! <laughs> and I wondered if life would ever be worth living again, I'll tell you. I'm thinking the disciples felt the same way. Throughout these texts that we've been reading, going back to John chapter 13, 
and chapter 14 in the upper room, I think the Jesus, the Jesus' disciples felt the same way that I felt when the Beatles' years were over. Because if you read these Gospels carefully, you will find out that these guys loved following Jesus so much that it was the first thing they thought about in the morning and the last thing they dreamed about as they were going to bed at night. And despite the fact that these guys had jobs and families and other responsibilities, the thing that made life worth living for them was being a follower of Jesus. And now they're convinced that the Jesus years are about to be over. Because Jesus has just told them in chapter 13, Guys, I'm out of here. I'm leaving. You can't come where I'm going. And them guys, you know, disillusionment began to ooze from their pores and drip from their noses. Because for them, the Beatle, or the Jesus years are about to be over. <laughs> but they're disillusioned, and Jesus says, No, guys, don't worry about it. I got you covered. I got your backs. I'm going to go prepare a place. I'll come back and get you. Someday we're going to be together forever. And until that time, these Jesus years are just getting started because I'm going to send the Holy Spirit and He's going to be my presence in your lives to do my will through you. That's kind of what He's saying there. I'm going to ask the Father to send another uh, advocate, another counselor, another comforter, and this Holy Spirit whom I'm going to send is going to bring new animation to your lives and your lives are going to continue just as impactful in the world as they are now with me here as when I go away. For when I go away, I will send the Spirit and He will enable you to do all these greater things through the power of the Holy Spirit. Last week we looked at prayer as being one of the gifts that Jesus has given to accomplish the greater works He promised that we would do. Today, it's the gift of the Spirit. The gift of the Spirit. The Counselor, He calls Him. So who is this Counselor? Who is this Holy Spirit? Let me read to you from one of the most respected commentaries. Uh, Gary Burge, in the NIV application commentary, can say it much better than I can about this word that in the Greek is the word parakletos. He says this word comes from a verbal root that describes someone, quote-unquote, called alongside. And it occurs in secular Greek literature for an advocate in a court of law who comes alongside a person to speak his or her defense and provide counsel. The word does not mean comfort, as in the King James Version, comforter. Counselor is a popular translation because it's included in the Revised Standard and the, uh, in the NIV, but today its therapeutic connotations are misleading. So rather, one must think of a legal counselor. Thus, the best translation is advocate, advocate, like a, almost like a lawyer, a legal counselor. That's what Jesus is talking about, someone who will come alongside and be an advocate uh, for you. What is the role of this advocate, we might ask? And Jesus gives us the answer. As five times in chapters 14, 15, and 16, Jesus comes back to define the role of the Holy Spirit. 
Would you care to hear what, how Jesus defines the role of the Spirit? 1426. But when the Father sends the Advocate here, that's the translation I'm using, the Holy Spirit, as my representative, He will teach you everything and remind you of everything I myself have told you. So the Spirit is going to repeat the words of Jesus. In 1526, I will send the Advocate, the Spirit of Truth, the Spirit of Truth. He will come to you from the Father, and He will always bear witness to me. Every time I talk about the Holy Spirit and the role of the Spirit, I like to tell people, if you want to discern, if you want the gift of discernment and the ability to decide whether or not someone is speaking from the Spirit or acting on behalf of the Spirit, remember the words of Jesus who said that the Spirit will always glory, glorify Him. And sometimes, just remember that someday. Someday that's going to help somebody here. He will glorify or bear witness to me, Jesus said. In 16.8, Jesus says the Holy Spirit will come and convict the world of sin and how we can be righteous with God the Father. In other words, salvation. It's the, it's the role of the Spirit to convict you and I that we are sinners and that we can be saved, that is, be right with God through faith in Jesus. And lastly, in 16.13, Jesus said, and when this Spirit of truth, He calls Him three times, the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. Add it all up, and what do you get about the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, Jesus has been talking about the amazing love of God the Father and His own love for people then and now. And this is the very love that the world has been waiting to hear when Jesus comes on the scene and is still waiting to hear today. And so the role of this advocate is to help people like you and me explain to other people how much God loves us. In other words, it's to help us point people towards Christ because the Spirit will always point towards Jesus. Always, always, always point towards Jesus. Um, let me read from another uh, commentator in my library whom I much respect as do most of Bible scholars in the world, Sir Leon Morris. And in his commentary on chapter 14, and this whole idea about Jesus promising the Spirit, he kind of gives the big picture. I'm a big picture kind of guy, and this is what he has to say here. The important point made in this entire passage about when Jesus is going away is that he will send the Spirit to be with his followers. They therefore will not be left without resource. They will not be left without resource. That is, you and I are not without resources to help us to live the kind of life that's worth living. And that's the kind of life that we live in the Spirit. And we live in the Spirit to draw other people to Christ in any way, shape, and form that God has gifted us to do just that. That's what uh, the coming of the Advocate is for. When Jesus said, I'm sending another Advocate, um, this Advocate will come into your life, and He will enable you 
to help bring his kingdom to earth as it is into heaven. Just like prayer, now we have the gift of the Holy Spirit. And what I want to say to you today is that just as that truth made life worth living for those early disciples, this truth makes life worth living for his disciples today. You want to live a life worth living? It's living life in the Spirit. I got to tell you that sometimes we fall prey to the idea that a life worth living is a life of comfort and ease. We fall prey to that temptation of the evil one that a life worth living is a life worth uh, is a life of comfort and, and ease, whereby we go out and we get a job and we have enough money to put a roof over our heads, food on the table, drive a car. Um, collect a few trophies in life maybe, and that that's a life worth living. And I'm here to tell you today that that doesn't hold a candle to the life worth living that we're talking about as living life in the Spirit. Jim Carrey was in the news this week, the comedian Jim Carrey, for some negative reasons, but I was interested in reading what he said at the 2016 Global... global Golden Globe Awards. <laughs> Help me, Lord. He was giving a speech in this prestigious audience of actors and actresses and film directors and that sort of thing. And he's giving this speech and he says, You know, when I go to sleep at night, I'm not just a guy going to sleep. I'm two-time Golden Globe winner Jim Carrey. Going to get some well-needed shut-eye. And people in the audience were laughing and smiling. And when I dream, I don't just dream any old dream. No, sir, I dream about being three-time, three-time Golden Globe winning actor, Jim Carrey, because then I know I would be enough. And as you watch the audience, everybody dressed to the nines in their tuxedos and gowns, everybody's smiling and laughing, and they're kind of right with him until he drops the last line on them and says, because then I would be enough and I could stop this futile search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. And when they panned the audience, they quickly stopped laughing. And you could see on their faces the idea that's written on their minds as a result he just said. Yeah, the, these golden globes that I have on my shelf back at the house, they ultimately don't fulfill me. He says, and I could stop this futile search for what I know ultimately won't fulfill me. And the people were sit, think, sitting there thinking, if a golden globe or three won't fulfill me in this life, what will? I tell you what will. It's living life in the Spirit. That's what makes a life worth living. Allowing the Spirit of God to fill us. That He might use us for His glory. To share His love and His grace with other people in any way, shape, or form that He's gifted and calling us to do. That's what makes life worth living. That my friends, is our destiny as Christian brothers and sisters. There's an old poem. I've quoted it before. I'll quote it again. He has no hands but our hands to do his work today. He has no feet but our feet to lead men in his way. He has no lips but our lips to tell men 
how he died. He has no help but our help to bring them to his side. This is our destiny. These are the things that makes life worth living. Making a kingdom impact in somebody else's life. That's what makes life worth living. This is a message that you need to hear, and you need to hear this message closely. I may or may not say something right now that I regret. If I do, forgive me. But this is what I want to say. Sometime in the future, I don't know when, I'm going to be retiring. (laughs) Yeah, you're the one that's going to have to listen to this message closer than anyone else. I'm going to be retiring someday. I don't know when for sure. Let me, know, let, let me take this moment to let you know that we have a transitional team that's in place that's uh, very much concerned about that and is overseeing all that, and it's their job to make sure that pastoral care it continues at Cross Point Community Church. And um, so just know that. And you'll be hearing announcements from them in the future as things happen and all, but I'm going to retire someday. I'm not going to be here anymore. For gosh sakes, I could have a heart attack, drop dead tomorrow. You never know these things. And I've been told by some people in this congregation, I won't say who, that if I leave or the day I leave, they might not want to come to here to worship anymore. And I've heard other people tell me, what's going to happen when you leave? I got a feeling that maybe some people might want to not want to come here to worship anymore. And I want to thank you for your confidence in me and your encouragement of me. But I want to say to you, why would you want to put your faith in any one man? I'm just a man. That's all I am. And I'm fallible and I make mistakes and I screw up all the time. I'm just a man. And I keep telling everybody, the new preacher you're going to get here whenever I leave is going to be a better preacher than me because there's hundreds of better preachers out there than me. And people tell me, no, no, we don't want you to leave because don't put your faith in a man. That is wrong. That is wrong. I read something the other day that it's worth quoting. It's going to hit some of you right between the eyes, but that's just tough. Andrew LePew, Christian guy who wrote a book, Paths of Leadership. Yeah, Andrew LePew. I don't think he's related to Pepe LePew, but (laughs) Andrew LePew. (laughs) He says, churches that are built, listen close, Churches that are built on the preaching and teaching and thinking and entertaining and fundraising charisma of one person, of which there are many in Christendom, are built contrary to the Scripture. These are not bodies of Christ. They are grotesque mutations. This church is not up to me. This church's hands or future is not in my hands. I'm just one person. And if I retire and leave here someday, and then I begin to hear that some people don't go to church there anymore because I'm not there, then I have failed in my mission miserably to point people to Christ, point people to the cross, because it's the cross where we receive forgiveness of our sins and we find salvation. It's the cross of Jesus. 
Don't make me a failure. This church is not in my hands. This church is in your hands. Make it very clear to yourselves. This church is in your hands. Because you all have been given the same spirit that I've been given, but I'm just one person. This church and its glorious future is in your hands. And the future yous that begin to come here as a result of your ministry to them. As you continue to worship the Lord with gladness and give joyfully. And as you pray persistently and share God's grace with our community and others. And go into all this world and make disciples and teach them to obey everything that Jesus taught. As you folks do that, not me, as you folks do that, then this church will flourish much more than it is flourishing now. I guarantee it. If we will all make renewed commitments today to be filled with the Spirit by recommitting ourselves to reading this Word and to praying what it says and continuing to worship and we allow the Spirit to propel us along, we will just be enabled. We won't be able to help ourselves We'll be able to go out there and invite other people to come to worship. We'll be able to share our testimony with other people about how we came to Christ, how Christ is working in our lives. People are going to pick up on your excitement. They're going to flood this place, and it's going to happen because of you, not me. A life worth living. That's what we're talking about today. A life in the Spirit. And it's all of us together. And it's worth, that's a life worth living until our dying breath. Until our dying breath, my friends. As long as we've got breath. Teddy Roosevelt said this, Far better it is to dare mighty things, to win glorious triumphs, even though checkered by failure at times, than to rank with those poor spirits who neither enjoy much nor suffer much because they live in the gray twilight that knows not victory or defeat. Teddy Roosevelt, as long as we have breath. I saw a story the other day, Christian author, author Mark Batterson, pastor says that all Christians need to desire to die the way that Wilson Bentley died. Anybody ever hear of Wilson Bentley? Wilson Bentley. He was born back in the 1800s in Jericho, Vermont, and he was a little boy, he became fascinated with snowflakes. Snowflakes became his life worth living passion in life. Snowflakes. When, uh, when it begins to snow, most of us run inside. Wilson Bentley would run outside when it starts snowing with a piece of black velvet, and he would catch snowflakes, and he would photograph them and look at them under a microscope, and it became his life's passion to study snowflakes. And when he discovered that no snow, two snowflakes are alike, he thought the world needs to know this about God's handiwork and made it his mission in life to take as many photographs as, of snowflakes as he could. Now, this is back in the 1800s when it wasn't easy to be taking a picture through a microscope. Nonetheless, over his lifetime, in 50 years, he collected 5,831 pictures of snowflakes that are included in his magnum opus called Snow Crystals, it's a book that you can still get. 
He gave his life to snowflakes and then he died. I mentioned that this pastor says we should all want to die like him. He died kind of epitomizing his life when he contracted pneumonia after walking six miles in a snowstorm, a bad blizzard, and he died. And Mark Batterson says this, and that is how I figured out how I want to die. No, I don't want to die from pneumonia, he says, but I do want to die doing what I love. I am determined to pursue God-ordained passions until the day I die, for life is too precious to settle for anything less. Too precious to settle for anything less. I read that and I was reminded of the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Philippians where he's talking about trophies. I got lots of trophies on the shelf at home. I was born a Jewish person, circumcised on the eighth day. He said, I became a Pharisee and put another trophy on my wall. I began to pursue a Phariseeism with all my heart and my life. I was obeying all the commands of the law, the Ten Commandments and everything else. And I was just living the primo Jewish life. And he says, I finally came to the point after I met Christ that I counted all that stuff as garbage, he says. Actually, he uses the word dung. I counted all that stuff as dung for the supreme passion of knowing Christ as my Savior and being able to go out and preach the gospel of grace to other people. And Paul ends up that famous passage by saying, now I'm focusing on one thing. I continue to forget the past. He's talking about any failures he's had. And looking forward to what lies ahead I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling all of us, all of us. I'm trying to convey to you and me today that there is a life worth living, and it has nothing to do with trophies and other accolades that we might earn in this life, but rather a life worth living is a life worth living in God's Spirit, being filled with God's Spirit and having him use us to share his love and his grace with other people wherever we can. That, my friends, is a life worth living. That, my friends, is the life that you are called to. That, my friends, is the life that will propel this church into the future. In your hands. In your hands. Can I have a <laughs> Yeah. There'll never be another Randy Kami, I agree, but pastors are a dime a dozen. Right. Preachers are a dime a dozen. Want a dime a dozen. Well, <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Okay, you brought yourself right into this, girl. Uh, it's not me, just me. Don't ever make me think two years from now, after I've learned that Dottie Nutter doesn't go to Crosspoint anymore. Don't ever let me think of myself as a failure because of that. It's your person and how you deliver the message. You're not boring. <laughs> She's right. Nobody sleeps here. That's not true. <laughs> I've got one more story for you. Thank you for your words. One more story about a life worth living. 
There's a movie that was made several years ago. I've never seen it, but I hope to find it someday. It's called The Great Raid. Has anybody ever seen that movie, The Great Raid? It's based on the true story of the largest mission to rescue American POWs during World War II. Over 500 men were taken by the Japanese into a camp in the Philippines during World War II. And they sent in a rescue mission that was headed by a guy named Colonel Mucci, Mucci, M-U-C-C-I. And they sent this uh, rescue team in to rescue these 500 POWs into the jungles in the Philippines. And they made their way just through these jungles, and they got near the POW camp where they could see their American GIs on the other side of the fences. And during one night, they realized that a whole unit of Japanese reinforcements had moved in and surrounded them from the rear. And Colonel Mucci is just devastated by this and wondering what's going to happen to them and steps away from the rest of the troops into the woods to lean against a tree and think about what his options were when a captain by the name of Captain Prince tentatively approached him and they had a heart-to-heart -heart conversation about what might, by ha might, might happen. Here's the conversation. Colonel Mucci says to Captain Prince, the others are beginning to lose their faith, aren't they? Prince said, they won't let you down, sir. Mucci says, it's not a question of letting me down. We worked hard to raise a five unit. They deserve their shot at glory. Prince says, I don't suppose many of us are here in this for glory, sir. Mucci says, I'm not talking about publicity, Bob. I'm talking about the kind of glory you carry inside you the rest of your life, knowing you've done something worth remembering, something that made a difference. Nothing in our lives will ever be as important as this. Do you see the parallels, my friends? There are people who are being held captive today. They live all around us. They are captive to their own unbelief. And they need to be set free by people like you and people like me. And what Jesus was telling his disciples in that upper room was, this is the kind of glory that you could carry around inside you the rest of your life, boys, knowing you've done something worth remembering, something that made a difference. Nothing in your lives will be as important as this. I'm talking about living a life worth living today. A life worth living. And you can do it. And you will by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within you. There was a man who risked his life one day swimming through a dangerous riptide to save a youngster who was being swept out to sea. When that adult man got that little kid back to the shore and the kid composed himself, he looked up at that guy and said, thank you for saving my life. And the man looked at that kid and said, just make sure your life is worth saving. Need I say anything else? Our Heavenly Father, I thank you for this passage of Scripture in which Jesus the Lord is conveying to his disciples then and his disciples today the thrill of living a life in the power of the Holy Spirit. That power that will enable us by your grace to be witnesses for you in many ways, shapes, and forms. And we yield to the Spirit within us
to follow him as closely as we can so that you would use us, Lord, to touch other people with your love and your grace so that prisoners, captives, will be set free to come home to you through their faith in what Jesus did on the cross. And I pray for any person here today who's been toying around with this idea of becoming a Christian by expressing their own faith in that cross, that you would take these moments now, and as we conclude this service, that they might just pray a prayer of confession and come home to your love and grace. For we ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you guys very much for being patient today. And if I ran over time, I'm sorry. I'll get you back next week. Um, we have two songs to close with today. One of them is an invitation for the Spirit to come. And the second one is just talking about the mighty power of God to save. So... Let's go. Shall we stand? Fire, 
fan into flame a passion for your name spirit of god fall in this place lord have your way lord have your way consuming fire fan into flame a passion for your name spirit of god fall in this place lord have your way lord have your way with us Lord, have your way with us. Everyone needs compassion, a love that's never failing. Let mercy fall on me. Everyone needs forgiveness, the kindness of a Savior, the hope of nations. Savior, He can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. So take me as you find me. All my fears and failures Fill my life again I give my life to follow Everything I believe in Now I surrender Savior he can move the mountains. Our God is mighty to save. Jesus mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Shine your light and let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of the risen King. Jesus, shine your light and let the whole world see. Singing for the glory of the risen King. Savior, He can move the mountains. Our 
Our God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation, He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Savior can move the mountain. God is mighty to save. He is mighty to save forever. Author of salvation. He rose and conquered the grave. Jesus conquered the grave. Amen, people? Amen. <laughs> Spirit of the living God, fall afresh on us. Melt us, mold us, fill us, use us. Amen.